Welcome again to the remixed and remastered Steve Mathis Classics. This one from 2008 with the great David Bailey. Seems like it's getting worse sound as I go on, listening back to this a little bit. You'd think I'd be getting better, but this one doesn't sound the great greatest. But, um, you know, we tried our best with the software that we got to make it sound a little better. And as usual, David Bailey himself, an incredible interviewer and interviewee, all at the same time, the guy understands what you're looking for, what you're asking for, and he delivers. And uh, we get into some pretty good, interesting topics about the sport today and him working with uh, different riders over the years and everything else. Of course, we know now David's getting ready for the uh, race across America uh, with Doug Henry and Mickey Diamond. And, um, yeah, it should be great to see him doing that. So enjoy this uh, Racer X Classic podcast racer x canada at that too god those days are seem so long ago but we thank you guys for listening and uh please appreciate this show once again from david bailey and uh yeah stay tuned for more classics down the road everybody This is the Racer X Canada podcast show you're listening to, and I want to personally thank everybody out there for making this the most listened to podcast that Racer X Canada has ever had. I'm your host, Steve Mathis, and this show is sponsored by Shift Racing Canada. Shift gear is the gear of choice for guys like Brock Hepler, who just happened to win a golden helmet at the Motocross Moto X Championships this past weekend in San Diego in front of 57 fans. Check them out on the web at shiftracing.ca and see all of the 2008 gear. Please, I beg you. This week's guest is the icon, David Bailey. What can you say about this guy that hasn't already been said? Supercross champion, 250 motocross champion, 250 supercross champion, 500 motocross champion, Wrangler champion, which got him a real cool yellow number one on a blue plate. I wish they brought those back. David suffered a career-ending injury after the 86 season and what could have been in the later years if he hadn't got hurt. Think about that. Jeff Ward and RJ would have probably had a few less titles. After getting hurt, David went on and won the Hawaiian Ironman title in the wheelchair. That's just an incredible feat. How amazing is this guy? He goes into great detail in the show, talking about his recent setback. It sounds like we almost lost him, but being the battler that he is, he's back on the scene and helping out his Sean in his motocross career. I really think that when it's all over, DB's legacy won't be all the titles and race wins. It might be the very powerful video that he did for VitalMX.com urging the MX community to wear a then-unknown neck brace. Just go out to your local track or watch the Supercrosses on TV and see what kind of effect that speech had on everybody. He's just an incredible guy, and when I got to sit beside him at Anaheim 1 and watch the main events, it was an honor for me to listen to him go on and on, especially the Bob Hanna stories. I want to thank him for doing this podcast show, and with that, ShiftRacing.ca and RacerX Canada present David Bailey. All right, David. Hey, thanks for doing the uh, RacerX Canada podcast show you uh you ever been to canada a few times a few Mostly, times uh back east wherever whatever part of canada that is quebec maybe ontario yep going up like through niagara falls up in there and yeah traveled up there with my dad and he did some schools and um i raced in uh montreal supercross you did back in like 70 shoot must have been like 77 or 8 
Wow. Maybe I think actually it was '79, my first year pro. Yeah. They rode a they had a Supercross there, <clears throat> if you could call it that. It looked more like a TT. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was in a heat race with my dad. <laughs> How weird is that? Yeah, for sure. Were yeah, you were right? you riding a bull taco or what were you, Cowie? <laughs> yeah, we were both bull taco. Yeah. And he did it just you know figured yeah why not you know and uh, he still rode pretty good, but um, <laughs> I was just poking my nose into the pro and yeah. And um, I think they took eight out of the heats or something like that, and I got sixth or seventh, and he got ninth or whatever. I, you know, I beat him, but I felt bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then um, I ended up doing pretty good in the main. I got like seventh or something. I think uh, Warren Reed won it, and Tripes was there, and and uh, I can't remember all the names, but there was about eight or nine Bigelows. I know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were all there. Yeah. And, um, so that was my. A real big race I remember doing, and I took my bike apart, all the pieces, and packed it in the back of my mom's Celica, uh-huh. and drove it up there. Really? He was already there doing a school or helping yeah. lay out the track or something. Yeah. So I show up in a Celica and lift the back open and put my bike all together, and everyone's kind of laughing at me, and then I kick their ass. So. Yeah. Those really those days really happened. Yeah, and then we drove straight through from there. I did a national at uh, Sears Point. Drove with my dad all the way there and watered through the fence in the first turn with Magoo. <laughs> got up and last and didn't qualify. Magoo got up and won that race. Jeez. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, those Canada actually brings back some good memories. You uh, you might have raced against a rollerball back then at Montreal. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've raced against him. And, what uh, were your thoughts on rollerball, even like even later on in the 80s? Um, you know, he's, he's kind I, of a hero. A hero problem of mine. with him, he was just a handsome dude that you know blocked the sun. He was just gigantic, you know. And I knew that if I ever got into a, if he wasn't smiling at me, I had there was going to be problems because he was a pretty tough guy. And he wasn't the kind of guy that, I mean, he didn't have a reputation that I knew of. But he wasn't the kind of guy I wanted to cross on the racetrack. But I, I did by accident one year at Anaheim, '85, I think. I wasn't riding very well. I was, struggling with arm pump at the beginning of the season. I just didn't prepare well. And and uh, we got into a little fighting for the same line, and I, I just went ahead and took it. And uh, he hit my back tire on high side and ended really bad. <laughs> Came around the next lap, he was still there. Oh, okay. Kind of bad. He didn't say anything to me about it, though. And uh, But uh, that's the only time I ever really remember, you know, getting together with him. Yeah, he didn't have the nickname Rollerball for nothing, you know. <laughs> You know, he had good rides, though. I think the year I won Unadilla in 83. Um, yeah, he went like 6'5 at Unadilla GP one year. Yeah, yeah. that's probably the year. And, and he was up third or fourth in one moto. He had that that outfit with the pants that went Cooper over the Cooper Cross, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I respected him because, you know, it's, it's like when uh, when uh, Sebastian Waugh comes down here to ride, you know. You just know he's the king up there and he – he does pretty good here, you know. If he raced here all the time, might be might be even better. But you know, he he did his thing up there, and um, he was always uh, somebody that I had to beat. You know, yep. luckily luckily I was at a, going fast enough that I could beat him. But he certainly was a guy I had to pass if I didn't have my ducks in a row <laughs> off the line. Now, uh, what have you been up to lately? Well, just getting back out there. You yeah. know, I mean, probably most people who are listening to this now that I've. You know, struggled for a little while, and I had a pressure sore that just turned into it snowballed into all kinds of other problems, and I was on pretty much face down for about a year. Really, I, I in your bed for a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a good six months of that, I was face down. Yeah. And, uh, 
I started getting pressure sores on my elbows, and I was wearing elbow pads and watching TV in a mirror, and I read a lot, and was on the phone a lot, and, you know, it was during that time, people uh, um, realized that, you know, if they called and my wife answered the phone, they're like, hey, is David there? I couldn't say, yeah, just tell him, tell him I'm not here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get away with that one, so, I mean, I, you know, I talked a lot on the phone and kept in touch with people, and... And um, now that I'm back out there, you know, it's I, a lot of people are like, man, you're hard to get a hold of. I'm like, well, you know what? That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good thing. So yeah. it feels great to be back out there, and I really do want to say a big thanks to people. You know, there was a letter that a friend of mine wrote from Florida, circulated, and and uh, Mark, he's been a great friend of mine. I met him up in New York. It's a track called Zor Valley, mm-hmm. and uh, we raced together as amateurs, and um, he was a musician, and we'd you know, our paths would cross from time to time, and he'd watch me race, and he just knew that I was hating it and put out that letter saying, hey, Dave would never ask, but he's in bad shape. So the money that people raised for me, that uh, you know, that's got me to today. And uh, I really, I suppose I would have worked it out somehow, but, I mean, yeah. we were in a position where I may have lost my house and, you know, I had enough problems as it was. So the the sport, I just want to say thanks again. You know, there are so many people that offered time and money and things. You know, I have a pool now because of that. And and a guy that just said, well, I'll build you one for cost. So, I mean, I just, you know, if I go around saying thank you, you know, the way I feel like I should, I, I just, that's the only words that would ever come out of my mouth. But, um, yeah. you know, once again, that really helped my family and I through this thing. And, there was a time, Steve, where I thought, man, I don't think I'm going to rebound from this one. Really, huh? I don't think it's going to work. And, you know, I had some really lousy thoughts rolling through my head. And, and uh, you know, it's I, I'm proof that <clears throat> you, you stick with it and, and uh, it's going to be okay. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where... You know, I've been through enough. I got hurt in the first place and had a few few things, you know, yeah. over the last 20 years that, that weren't that easy on top of it, you know. And then and then this one, and uh, I really lost my, my faith. You know, I was like, man, I, I don't know. And, um, you know, luckily my wife was just going, come on, you know, you've always rebounded before. You, you'll, you'll just figure out a way. I'm yeah. not giving up, so don't. And uh, so, you know, for anybody that's going through something or feels like you know the walls are closing in there's just no light at the end of the tunnel i've been there you know several times and, yeah not just once yeah yeah and you, <laughs> you can get through it so just you know be tough and you know re- don't be too proud go ahead and rely on some support from people around you to pull you through and it all works out so you know i just appreciate everyone's help because it, it made a big difference great yeah well said there's some uh, really good people in this sport really good companies when things go wrong, that's when you realize, hey, you know, we're, we're actually a pretty small sport, and we're all pretty good people. You know, yeah. that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Was your problem caused by you riding? There's some confusion no, there. No, no. It wasn't caused by your riding at Elsinore uh, that day. I had a pressure sore uh, brewing. You know, it was just like, it looked, looked like a little blister. You uh-huh. know? It wasn't a big deal. It would get a little red, and I was like, okay, well, I got to go to this national, and and help this team, and I gotta do a little TV and fly to Atlanta, and then, but when I get home, I'll take it easy, I'll stay off it, I'll just lay down. And, right. But I, you know, I did that for too long, and I just, I just didn't get caught up, and you know, if it's a little bit of a problem on the surface, for someone in my position with a spinal cord injury, you, you end up uh, with, you know, 
it's a volcano under the surface yeah. waiting for you to mess up. And uh, it got infected, and then they just ended up having to cut all that tissue out. But prior to that happening, it got infected, and, and uh, I was doing really bad. I was up around the Vancouver Supercross a mm-hmm. couple of years back. It must have been three years now. And, and I thought I'd made it through it. You know, I spent about three or four months uh, off of it, and that was, wasn't fun either. And right about the time of uh, San Diego, it was unfortunately the night that James Marshall was injured. I just remember that was the <laughs> And uh, I was sitting with Ricky James, and I mentioned that in that Leah Brace video. That was the night, and he was riding a little bit, and I saw some pictures of it. And, I just told him, man, I'd like to, I want to do it, you know. He's yeah. like, you got it. So I went out right after that. It was Valentine's Day of all days, and and uh, I thought I was okay. But but uh, after I rode, it just stirred me up a little bit, uh-huh. and I got really sick afterwards. And um, that actually, riding actually helped me find out, hey, something's still not right. So it was it was difficult to try to figure out what was wrong because I figured it had something to do with riding. Where what it was was something that I had prior that just was under the surface and uh, kind of had walled off. And once I rode and maybe popped that cyst or whatever it was under the surface, and it released all that infection into my system, and I just started getting sick. And it took till like the middle or end of April to figure out what was going on. They did an MRI and and uh, did a surgery just to try to get that tissue cleaned out and, and then uh, it didn't, just didn't heal. So I had to lay on my stomach for you know the rest of that year and most of the, the year after. So that was you know a tough one. I, I just wasn't healing. I was just sitting there, you know, I couldn't do anything and I had to be so careful with that sore and uh, not to get it infected again and you know, home nurses and I had a pick line, you know, in my bicep. That, it's like a catheter, it goes in a vein up into my, you know, almost yeah. my heart. And, uh, you know, I was just, I didn't feel like a human being for a while. Incredible. Just incredible. Yeah. And then you deal with insurance and hospitals and all that stuff. And, yeah, we can see you in six weeks. I'm like, I'll be dead in six weeks. <laughs> you know, that's what killed Christopher Reeves. Oh, it was, huh? So, yeah. You know, I, I know a little bit about him and what he's been through and, and his challenges and what took him out, unfortunately. And, and I was facing the same potential fate and uh it was pretty nerve-wracking that's when my friend stepped in and said hey you know this is not this is not the normal deal so we you need some help you ever plan on riding again well i did that little bit at anaheim and and, you know for me that was like uh i I didn't think of it actually rick james ricky's dad emailed me one night just it was an email said crazy idea you know i wrote about it in the last racer x and he said uh what do you think about maybe, you know, <laughs> going out there with, with Rick and doing a hot lap, you know, or whatever you can do? And, um, you know, and, and he understood what I was going through, and it was sort of my and a chance to just kind of put closure to the whole deal. I mean, if people thought that the bike was the cause of my problems, then why the heck would I get back on it, you know? So I, I wanted to try to lay a little of that confusion to rest as far as, no, it wasn't the bike that caused the problems. And... uh you know, it was enjoyable, and just, you know, like I said, uh, there was a time where I thought, I'm, I'm not gonna, man, if I do pull out of this, if and when, um, man, what, what am I gonna be able to even do? You know, yeah. there were doctors telling me I wouldn't be able to sit for more than an hour at a time ever again. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, well, that, that rules out 
going to dinner or the movies or much everything, you know. Yeah. So um, once I was able to, you know, get back out and ride that bike, I mean, for me, it was just, uh, hey, I did it. You know, look, I'm back out here yeah. on this motorcycle. In your retro jacket. I'm full circle. <laughs> yep, I saved that from Japan. And, um, you know, I was able to get back out and do it. I, you know, I was able to, you know, to get out and ride on my four-wheeler and help him with the track a little bit earlier in the week and then to uh, ride that around. And hopefully there were some people in the crowd that night that were maybe moved by that. Yeah, I think there was more than a, some people for sure. Yeah, was... just, just the fact that here I am in a chair after all these years and I was able to ride. And, and uh, you know, for those that saw it on the Internet a long time ago when I did it with Ricky the first time, you know, I thought it'd be kind of fun to see it live at, at that event, you yeah. know. I mean, I didn't want it to really be all about me there. It was just, you know, it seemed like the time and place to go ahead and bust that out and, and uh, keep it short. And the only reason I went around again was because I couldn't turn around in the starting line. So <laughs> How about? Like, can I just go around again because I'm pretty wobbly. How about, like, at Elsinore, you were jumping things. Like, I mean, how... You know, how crazy is that? You hadn't ridden for so long, and yet you still were like, you know what, I can jump that little tabletop, and you, yeah. you know? <laughs> I actually surprised myself a little bit. Did you? And, um, you know, that's kind of, it just goes with riding, you know, you, as soon as you ride a little bit, it doesn't matter who you are and what your skill level is, you just, if there's a something there that you can do, yeah. you want to do it. You know, and not the giant stuff, but you just yeah. want to do a little bit more than you did. Right. Same like, you know, you go drive those go-karts in Corona, and you're thinking, man, I, I can go faster. Yeah, yeah. Get a different car, yeah. you know, not get hung up behind that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I just, um, I took off, and I wasn't planning on doing anything special. I just thought it'd be fun to putt around the pits, just be on a bike, if I could do it. You know, Ricky made it look easy. Yeah, he does. So, um as soon as I took off, I went like 50 feet and was like, okay, everyone was standing there in the pit area. It was just flat. And I said, hey, I'm, I just signaled, like, I'm going over there to the track. <laughs> so um, I saw what he had done, you know. I, I followed him around on my four-wheeler, and he just would kind of, I'd never ridden a four-stroke before. Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, you never. Yeah. So uh, I knew the power would be different, and it would probably nosedive a little bit to the downside just if I let off you know, at the top of the ramp, you know, just from yeah. the engine brake. I mean, I figured out that much, and... And uh, they jumped the first couple little plateaus perfect, you know. And on some of the home video, I could hear all those guys just, no way, that's yeah. so cool, you know. And, and it was, I was the same way, just under my helmet with a big grin, going, this is this is really fun. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, it, it hurt a little bit to do that. So, yeah. you know, I don't want guys out there in chairs thinking, oh, man, I'm getting a bike. Yeah. It's not a, you know, I mean, Ricky's, He's pretty unique, and he's he's very fortunate that he's gotten away with what he's gotten away with. And I, it still worries me. I know it worries his parents, but, you know, you can't just let fear dictate your life. I so, saw him ride at Paris a few weeks ago. Yeah, he holds ass. He's fast. He yeah. jumps everything there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I rode around the track one day after the practice and, and just kind of looked at everything because he told me he was going out there. And I, I was like, well, I don't think he's going to be able to jump this or this. Yeah. And I talked to him afterwards and, and – uh, we went to Glen Helen that day, Sean and I, instead of there, and I asked him, maybe hey, you didn't do that one double there, did you? He goes, oh, that one? Yeah, and the two plateaus after it. Yeah. And then I doubled through those, and I'm like, no way. <laughs> so I, I can't fathom that. It, yeah. I don't have that bravery and skill level, and I don't actually have the amount of balance and stuff that he does because he's a little bit lower level of injury. And uh, he had some rods put in his back also that makes him a little bit more sturdy. So. Oh, okay. You know, no. The answer back to the original deal was, yeah. no, I don't plan on riding anymore, but 
I figured if I was going to ride one more time, I might as well go out with a bang at Anaheim and kind of put closure to the whole deal. The only uh, the only thing that bummed me out about the Anaheim thing was RJ on a KTM. Come yeah. on, Ricky. I know. <laughs> I don't think he was really that stoked about it either. But Really? Yeah. Um, you know, it was... I mean, I know they help him out and everything, but Yeah, come I on. didn't talk to him too much about it. Yeah. Wrapped around the axle myself, just trying to make sure I didn't fall over. <laughs> exactly. I almost did once. I was trying to wave, and that didn't work. But uh, you know, I had to go to Vegas early in that week and uh, do a little speech thing. And and um, shoot, man, when I, by the time I got back, I you know I did a lot of work and had some a little bit of help to make that bike I rode look. You now they put fork boots on it. My mm-hmm. friend up in uh, Sun City, Brad, that built the bike in the first place, um, and he helped Sean out a lot. Uh, he he did a lot of work to it, and I went down to One Industries and got a kit for it, and they covered the seat. And, and uh, Rick James, you know, said, "Why don't we do some gold rims and black hubs?" And you know, I mean, I put some time into it. Yeah. Well, it was funny, actually, because it mattered to me. And um, I guess Rick was, was just busy with KTM. It, he felt probably obligated to serve them, and then also, you know, he didn't have a Honda to ride. So he's got a bike out of Prims, but. Uh, he didn't call Prem till Friday or something. Greg wasn't gonna just, you know, yeah. drive the bike over there. So. Yeah, nah, well, no big deal, I guess. That's no. just the one thing I was like, what's he doing on a KTM? I had but, my gear to wear. I had all the, you, the yeah. stuff I wore that night. Yeah. And, uh, Greg had the pants, and then I had a jersey um, with Terry Good of MX Works Bike. And uh, unfortunately, that jersey got to me like after I already left for the day to uh, go to Anaheim, yeah. and then Greg. Um, he's remodeling out there in his museum, and he had the pants put in a box, and you know they dug through it forever and couldn't yeah. find them. So I I was bummed, you know. I mean, as cool as maybe some people thought it was, I was going, man, just think how much cooler it would have been if I had all that same gear on oh, and yeah. everything. But you know, then Rick would have looked worse. So <laughs> yeah, exactly, everybody <laughs> worked out. Yeah, that's probably a good point. Five he had. It was like off one of the ATM juniors. I don't the know. mailbox number. You know, he I mean that was last minute. I think until about fifteen or twenty minutes before we went out, he didn't have a bike at all. Oh really? I yeah. thought I was gonna solo it and I was stressing more. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. But it, was, it worked out, it was fun and you know, I, I hope that it was one of those little moments and I told uh Live Nation, I go, I don't wanna hog it, I don't wanna take too long but you know, I can ride and they were stoked about it, so I yeah. did a little pre-run on Friday night when I, I drove straight from Vegas to there, and and uh, I was real wobbly. It it scared me. I you know I lost a lot of muscle tissue when I was laid up, mm-hmm. and um, it didn't feel like it did when I rode at Elsinore. You yeah. know, I, when I rode there, I felt like if I could put my foot out, you know, for a turn and stand up a little bit, yeah. I, it felt like I could just go about as fast as I used to. <laughs> it didn't feel awkward at all. Right. Know? And then. Um, uh, at Anaheim, yeah. and I was, it was game face to just make it around. Yeah, you told me in the tunnel, I remember you said I was real nervous. Yeah, when I first take off, I don't know where I'm going. So I know everyone was kind of crowding around like a Tiger Woods tee shot. I was going, you guys need to pack up. <laughs> you know that Anaheim 2, that retro night, that was a great thing that Live Nation did. And uh, it was funny, you know, I talked to, everybody else thought the track was awesome, and I did too. And I talked to the riders, and they almost all thought it sucked. And I think it was because it made them make mistakes. Yeah. What were your feelings on the track, how close it was to 86? And also, did you like it? Do you think that's something that – do you think that is something that Live Nation could look at for a model for 
tracks in the coming years? Well, if Live Nation didn't mind listening to all the bitching, then they could do a lot of things. Yeah. But the riders, and I, and I don't know which ones, but I talked to the track guys and they filled me in how much bitching goes on. Oh, I, I talked to It's out of control. Yeah. And so I don't want to sit here and say, oh, all the riders, now just whoever they were suggesting and whatever I've been hearing, and I remember when my dad used to do Daytona, um, the riders bitch so bad that yeah. they pretty much just beat these track builders into submission, and those guys just build what the riders want. And if they go, the dozer tracks, you know, if they just drive back and forth and leave those little marks on the dozer, mm -hmm. they they have to rake those out, you know? Yeah. It's like, what? I, I like seeing a dozer track because I know exactly what's under that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, when they back drag it, I don't know if that's a watered spot and they got kind of, you know, disguised by, you mm -hmm. know, just kind of back dragging something. I like it that way, but um, these guys are pretty spoiled, and, and uh, the faces of the jumps have to be, you know, not as steep because these four strokes bog a little bit, and they they kind of mellowed out the transition so if they go through a rhythm section and land and then you know immediately hop again over three more they've they've relaxed that out a little bit and um mellowed out the landings and you know just there's so many things they do that makes the track so standardized and that was the word they used uh one of the track guys and uh and that's that's what i think is wrong with it now it's it's not nascar it's not football or whatever where it's just you know always the same field and it's a little bit different that's what makes motocross unique and i'm not saying they need to build you know some enduro cross thing i heard some comments about that in atlanta with those walls but you know i didn't i didn't think that the track was very close to what the original anaheim 86 track was like mm -hmm. and neither did rick rick goes if you hit google earth yeah it looks pretty close yeah yeah <laughs> but if not really you know i mean the triple was big but it was a nice, perfect takeoff, yeah. and a nice rounded landing, and it was, you know, a, you had a pretty good run out of it out of the corner compared to what we had. So, um, and w it got rough for us. So, yeah. you know, I'm not sitting here comparing, saying, oh, what we had was tougher. That's not what I mean. Yeah. It's just It was just different. It, yeah, and it, yeah. When I help those guys, you know, say, hey, you know, you need to make that first turn bigger and wider and put a little sand in, and, you know, you need to make that triple, like, right out of the turn. It needs to be huge. And, um, you know, that next section needs to be really tricky. And they started to build a, another thing. I go, that needs to be steep, you know. And and uh, They're like, who called this guy over? <laughs> and they're like, they're going to bitch. And I'm like, well, they bitched at Phoenix. Yeah. And they, they you know, yeah. they bitched at Anaheim saying it shouldn't have been that muddy. Yeah. And they're going to bitch next week, you guys. So let them bitch, but give the fans um, and a lot of people that are kind of looking forward to seeing how this 86 thing turns out, let them – you know, not at the expense of the riders crashing and stuff. You yeah, know, you know, yeah. I don't want to upset the riders like that. That wouldn't be my intentions, you know, if I was building it. But in the design, I thought that it really should have been closer. And I'm not I'm not bagging on the track guys at all. They were really cool. But um, I think they're just afraid to build certain stuff because they know that they're going to get, you know, told to fix it back so yeah. that it's more doable and forgiving. Because when I got home from Vegas and did a little hot lap deal, you know, a warm-up hot lap, <laughs> super slow-mo lap, I looked at the track, and I couldn't believe how, you know, it was just tiny. Not, not the size of the track, the obstacles and that sand pit thing with the double in it. I mean, all that stuff, it was almost like whoops, not jumps. And and uh, so I, 
you know, if the writers didn't like it, well, you know, tough. Yeah, I thought I thought that Live Nation could learn a lot from that and go forward with it. I mean, they're all going to ride the same tracks anyways, and like you said, they're going to bitch anyway. So I thought Chad wrote it really well, and I, I, unless he was lying on the podium, he seemed to like it, and I think Dungey said the same. So. And they both won. So there you go. You put your attitude into it doesn't matter what it is. If you're racing around trash cans in the street, you got to win. Yeah, I know Ferry, Ram- Ramsey Ferry Way, I personally talked to, and they all said it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they suck. <laughs> That's the problem with riders now is that, yeah. that um, you know, they're – they want it to be uniform, and, well, you know, the triples, you know, it's a little far, and it's kind of hard to do, you know, and so I have to change my gearing, and it's like, you know, yeah. I'm not saying that we need to trip the riders up and get them hurt or anything, but it needs to be a little bit more of a challenge and not something where you just go out and jump everything on the first lap of practice, which is what they do now. Yeah, yeah, no, I think uh, there needs to be some, some definitely some track changes. Yeah, I, as far yeah. as what they did in Atlanta with all the walls, I thought the one in the middle of the whoops was kind of cool. The yeah. other one was sort of in an awkward spot and yeah. you know for riders to complain about that one i suppose they have a, they have a, a legitimate gripe but for what anaheim was supposed to serve as and the riders had plenty of notice and all that stuff um for them to bitch about it is just that just shows to me how spoiled and how weak and soft those guys are now you uh-huh. know? and that's why they didn't do good yeah the dogger told me that uh Hey, they're lucky to even have one track builder. We'd show up and the, the, everything would be different because there's different track builders every week, and yeah. there'd be no transitions. <laughs> and uh, you know, there's a happy medium there, yeah, yeah. sure. But um, you know, when I hear guys bitch about a track, it's like, well, you know what? Unless it's unanimously just awful. Yeah, or dangerous, okay? or yeah. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> just go ride, okay? Just remind yourself of your salary and the kind of bike you get to ride and your $600,000 bus you get to chill in yeah. and walk over to the semi after you, you know, make it your way through the hospitality area of the other semi. And, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> don't get me going. Yeah, I was going to say, easy, so easy. Ferry, though, I mean, I don't want to see her, you know, get those guys mad at me. I, I like the fact that Ferry has, you know, lasted as long as he has and he's still out there getting after it. I think that's cool. But um, you know, the bitch about that track is kind of like, why, why waste your time bitching yeah. about it? It well, was supposed to be different, you know. Yeah, and and like I said, the industry people I talked to, the tire guys, the equipment guys, everybody, we all loved it. We thought it was great. Look, yeah. it made these guys look human. You know what I mean? They're, yeah, it's just you know, it it made them have to think a little bit more and figure something out and case it a little bit and over jump stuff and not really know if they should stay low or or over jump a place and yeah. you know that's. I think the riders, they don't have to think very much anymore. They just know what gear they're going to be in. They don't really need to walk the track, you know. They can pretty much just, you know, like Travis did at San Diego, just walk up on the finish line jump and just look around for a second and go, okay. Yeah, I can backflip this. Yeah. <laughs> Are you looking to get back into uh, the pro coaching ranks? I know you. No. No? You did the WBR team, DV, don't want to do it uh, again? That was it. I I thought it was fun to to take on Villaman. You know, mm-hmm. he he asked me, and um, it was right after the year that he had done really well, but he hurt his shoulder, and uh, Ricky came back and beat him. And I thought, okay, well, this guy, um, he can be on the box every week and and have a shot at a title. So yeah, I like. I think that he's leaving a few things mm-hmm. uh, undone. So I'll go in there and tighten it up a bit, and 
you know, be his friend and be at the track and motivate him a little bit when he, you know, needs to go harder and see if there's anything I can add that, that will make him even more competitive. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that poor, with him, he's... Poor guy. We used to just laugh about that. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, it took me a while to learn. I thought, well, I'll, I'll just go fix all that. Yeah. And, you know, you just, you, you can lead a horse to water, right? And, yeah. And, not to make fun of Illman in any way and say he's just not thirsty, but you know you've got to you've got to really want it in the race. You know, there's a lot of people I think that want it all week, but you know there's a lot of show and practice and testing, and they look all aggressive and they're they're there with their trainer and they seem serious, but deep down, if you could just give these guys all a little bit of truth serum, they tell you that they just don't really want to win on the weekend. They just don't want to do what it takes. They don't want to get that scared. They don't want to take those chances. They don't want to work that hard. They don't want to give the speech afterwards. Whatever it is, they're yeah. just not committed to it. Yeah. And I think David was going, look, I got a wife, I got kids, and uh, or back then, you know, kids on the way. And I, I just like being right up in the pointy end of it, but, man, I'm just not willing to throw myself on the sword like Ricky or, you know, then Stuart right, right behind him to win races you know if it's there i want to be in position to take it but i just don't think that he was aggressive as i was hoping he would be and um you know he'd fool me during the week he'd be fast you know you were yeah. there you'd see yeah he'd lighten it up i'm like damn this is gonna be the good this is gonna be the week yeah and he'd kind of fiddle faddle around and practice and i'm like what are you doing <laughs> come on where's that stuff you so showed me thursday you know it's, yeah that's yeah. why we did that Get after it, you know. You, there's more. You can. You're second and a half a lap faster than that, and you're only a second off. I mean, don't you want to win this heat race? Isn't that like a ten grand bonus? And you know, I, and he wanted me to really be hard on him, but I have a hard time getting yelling at a guy, you know. And, and, well, we uh, used to. We used to just like. Um, he, and I don't want to turn this into a bash DV thing because he's a great guy and I, one of my favorite people. But we would laugh because he is one stubborn sob. And yeah. we're and we're like, man, we don't know what Bailey, you know, how this is going to work out because David, just, I mean, he's gotten as good as he has, you know, from him and his dad, you know, and uh, so we would just be like, oh man, we could just. Imagine. Well, I just learned that unless you're in control of some, it's just not going to get done like you want. I just, it just isn't. You can have a whole system and ideas, and I have it all written down and mapped out, and and motivation and all that stuff, but. But, um, you know, it's it's really up to the person to go out there and execute. And, you know, he did really well. He he rode fast. And oh, yeah. yeah he took no. chances, and he put himself in good positions and all that. But, um, you know, I, I think he fell short of what I thought he wanted and what I hoped that he would be able to achieve, you know, on my watch anyway. I, uh, I liked him, you know. I, I still do. He's been very generous with me and he's always been really nice with the family and i just saw him at, at uh gwen helen the other day i was signaling my friend and a friend he was out there doing a moto with and he just tapped me on the shoulder hey how you doing you know yeah. he's always been really cool yeah no, i never had you know i mean it's i don't think i ever was trying to get him to do something and he was just stubborn and wouldn't you know we didn't butt heads like that at all i just i mean it was I just think that uh, <laughs> there was more he could have done at races you know, that based on what I saw him doing during the week, during the week he, yeah. he did work hard. You know, if I said we're going to go do this and then we're going to do it this hard and then we're going to go to the gym and then we're going to do that and then tomorrow, we're gonna, 
he did it all. Mm-hmm. But then he would uh, get to the race and pretty much had his comfort zone, and that's where he stayed, regardless of how hard he worked during the week. And you know, that's why he's still out there, and I'm not. So I, I have to respect that. What do you think is the number one flaw you see in these guys, these pro riders, in their in their riding, in their uh, career? Well, if you could give one piece of advice to most of the guys in the pits, what would it be? And just too comfortable. Too think. comfortable, yeah. Which you've kind of just said in the last 20 minutes. So. <laughs> yeah, just too comfortable. Yeah. No, I mean, I wasn't really ever comfortable because, you know, we didn't have a king or greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. You know, there there was seven of us. You know, there was a lot of Rickies. And, you know, I'm not saying that we were all as good as Ricky. I'm just saying yeah. there was yeah. a lot of guys that had that kind of ability to go out and win races and dominate and, and you know, make you nervous and intimidate. And uh, so I, I was never felt, you know, one year during the 500 championship against Brock, I had a works bike that was just amazing. His bike was just, I don't know, yeah. like a go-ped. And it it wasn't even fair. You know, if he hadn't been such a great rider, I would have won those races by a lot further. Because the year before, you did kill him. You you won almost every um, moto. Right. And I I think that uh, except for that one one year in the 500 class where they used to separate all the classes and yeah. Wasn't as deep of talent. Just Brock and a couple of other guys once in a while. Goat, but it it was always a huge challenge. I mean, I could win a week, you know, or win a couple nights at a you know a Pontiac Supercross or something, and then go to the next race and and not really be feeling like okay, you know, I should win this one too. If mm-hmm. I don't, I'll be disappointed. It was like I hope I can I hope I can back that up, but I know I got six guys ticked off that aren't gonna let that happen again. <laughs> So I was never comfortable from a standpoint of where I thought I was going to finish, and there was, it was, uh, I never felt really like I was completely secure at Honda either, you know? Interesting, was, like, yeah. That's interesting. I never felt, I mean, it. now I look at it and go, well, what was there to worry about? But yeah, exactly. <laughs> I felt like, man, I, you know, if I don't really perform and win another title now that I have, you know, I might just get replaced. So, and the money we made, you know, I mean, the year I won everything, I made about, I don't know, like 350 grand. So, my biggest earning years were were the last couple of years I raced in 85 mm-hmm. and 86, and I made about 800 and uh, almost 800. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what guys like Nick Way and Ramsey make, but probably that or more. And um, what have they won? You know, and this isn't. I'm not saying I'm not putting them down. I'm yeah, just saying, it's it's more. You know, you're talking about everybody. It's like yeah. they're getting paid to just do all right. You know, and you know, there's arm pump. There's the, the track didn't flow, and it's raining, and you know, um, at what point is the rider accountable? You know, my friend and I that both coached a little bit. I mean, he brought that up, and it's true. Like. You know, the bike, they take better care of the bikes. And these riders go out there and just have one excuse after the other. And and um, meanwhile, get paid a lot. And so I just I just think that it's not something you can fix. It's the way it is. Yeah, no, I ran into that at Yamaha. Same thing. It's just, it's the system. We've done it. The teams in the industry have done it to the riders. Yeah, the riders didn't just come out of Loretta's demanding a bunch of money all of a sudden. You know, agents and stuff that just you know, fly around these new kids like vultures, just come in and say, here's what you're going to get. And uh, they realize that they can probably profit, you know, to some degree and have a little, little, uh, 
I don't know, whatever it is, an ego thing to, to have certain riders on their roster and attract more. And um, so they, they just come in saying, here's what you're going to get. And riders and families, are they're young. They're going, well, okay, you know. And once that starts happening, then it becomes, you know, it's not so much at the rider's fault always, but it, it kind of becomes an expectation. Going back to your career, touched on that battle with Glover. You know, one year you were the one year that you did lose. You felt maybe you were a little too comfortable. And yeah, I got. I was doing really well otherwise, and and uh, I got on the 500, and I had such a good year in '84. And I liked the '85 bike. Uh, it was a little bit more comfortable, and it had really good, you know, bottom and mid. But I never really got anywhere and tested top end. I just figured it had it. And it wasn't quite as fast on top as Brock's bike. He worked, obviously, really hard to try to overcome what happened to him in 84. Oh. So the, the tables turned a little bit, you know, equipment-wise. I'm not saying he had better equipment, but it wasn't as much of a mismatch as it was in 84. And then he just really stepped it up, you know. And Brock, was really, when he was really motivated to do something, he usually got it. And mm -hmm. uh, he caught me a little bit off guard the way I did to him the year before. I know when I was at Yamaha, Omaha, they, they told me that that bike was super fast. It started with 60-some horsepower, ended the moto. By the time it had the end of the moto with the non-air cooling, it was somewhere around 40, but they said at the beginning of the moto, it was super fast. Yeah, I mean, when I was battling with them in 84, I could hear his bike. It was rich, and I could hear it pinging. Oh, yeah. It was full. <laughs> yeah. You know, so <laughs> no fun. Yeah. And, and mine was just perfect. You know, I just flipped the throttle, and everyone in the whole valley, and, you know. Yeah. And, and now Morris could hear my bike. It, it was a privilege to ride bikes like that. You know, I remember sitting on the starting line with Brock one time. He was just sitting there, and we were, it was like a hold up or something. And yeah. He's just staring at my my bike. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, he's like, "There's more freaking technology in the fill plug on your clutch case than there is on my whole entire bike." You know? <laughs> he, he was pretty good at exaggerating, but I mean, yeah. You know, Honda, they really in those days with the work stuff. It's just their style. They just do. They have really good taste in how they decide to, you know, what stuff's going to be billet and what material and what color they anodize it and you yeah. know. No, they still do. They, st they still yeah. do. You know. Yeah. It's just um, you know, it, it it fits my taste and and Brock being the perfectionist that he is, you know, he really likes his stuff to be nice and I think it was bugging him that <laughs> he never rode a Honda. You know, I mean he he always uh, stayed loyal and and you know he was interested in a little bit more money, I think. But uh, I think if he could have it to do over, he might like to have like to have had a Honda for a season. Yeah, Lachine told me that Lachine told me that that '85 250 was pretty friggin' special. Yeah, it was my favorite one for sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, the last one. So it was. Um, it was when we looked at the bikes. Um, the, you know, all of us we kind of drove in for a test. I think it was at Honda Land, and, and they were just all sitting out. And I just, I, I, I don't even remember if I was looking where I was going. I was just <laughs> looking at the bikes as I was pulling in, just like, oh my God, look at these things. Yeah. And we got a little confident, like, no, we're gonna just, all we need to do is show up. And I'll never forget, we were at San Diego. That was the first race.
race that year of Supercross, and RJ walked up to me, like, he kind of, like, bumped into me, just sort of, like, you know, joking, but kind of like a snot. You guys need nicer bikes. <laughs> he bent over to look at them, and they were just, and those guys had ridden, they decided to ride production bikes, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was, it seemed like we were going to do good, but Hannah had trouble, and Lachine and I did, did bad in the first couple of races, and Johnny was trying to maybe go back and ride his 84 bike disguised as an 85. I mean, we really struggled. Yeah. I think all of us uh, made the mistake of going, oh, these are awesome. Didn't test enough, and uh, we paid the price when we got to the first race. But about round five or six, you know, uh, Lachine did really well in Seattle. He got it together there. Then Hannah won Daytona. Um, I think uh, one of us, I think all of us did pretty good in Atlanta in between those races. From there on out, I mean, it was like every heat race and main event, there were two or three Hondas in the lead off the start, and they were great bikes. It just took a little while to get used to because they changed. We were always loving the way the, the Yamaha had that low-end power valve, and uh, they'd, get, they'd hook up good and get through those little tiny ruts around the inside of a corner nice and hard-packed and stuff. They were good and better than ours. Yeah. And um, so Honda worked really hard to develop a low-end power. So we had that little switch, and we, we had top-end as well. So that year, that bike, it covered all the bases. It was, what was it like having Hannah as a teammate? I, I know uh, he's struggling a little bit on Yamahas, and as soon as he switched to Honda, he didn't win any titles on a Honda, but from everybody that I talked to, he was Should've. the best rider in 83, yeah. I guess. When, yeah, 83, he was amazing. And, you know, I, I've... I could beat him, you know, here and there, but I mean, I never felt like, oh, I got this guy covered. Yeah, I, never, yeah. I never felt that way. You know, I mean, I, I when he was first on the team, I, I just wanted to bring a Sharpie with me to the test. <laughs> hey, can you sign this? You know, I was real nervous around him, and that never really went away. Um, you know, but but I, I did get used to it. You're around somebody that special after a while, like, well, you know, it's normal, you know, yeah. it's just like the rest of us, but he did uh, have that sort of presence and aura about him that, that um, it was professional and, you know, he he was able to have a conversation with Roger and Dave Arnold and some of the Japanese on a, a whole different level of oh, really? yeah. intellect, you know, with, with me and Johnny were just like, well, we're going to go running. <laughs> and, um, you want to go climb these steep hills in the back and whip it a little bit? And, you know, Bob just, you know, in a deep conversation with Roger because he raced with Roger. Yeah, Johnny yeah. and I didn't. I raced him once in Peru. That was a long thing, a long time ago. But Bob actually competed with him, so they had a, a mutual respect. And it was pretty neat having him on the team early because when he came over there in 83, he basically told Yamaha in 81 and 82, you like this terrible. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> and, you know, they're like, well... I think they just got into a little, you know, kind of a, a breakup to where Bob was like, I will go ride something else for nothing and kick your guys' butt. So when he came to Honda, he had a huge, you know, settle, a score to settle. And, um, you know, we could see that motivation. I did anyway. I could see it kick into gear at, when we got close to races. And, 
And I'm, I think Johnny and I fed off that a little bit. So mm-hmm. Bob really, I mean, it wasn't like Johnny and I were pretty much over there dominating. And yeah. Hanson left. Who knows? He might have been really strong again, too, in 83. But, you know, in his absence, Johnny and I took over. And it wasn't like Bob was an addition to the team. You know, he was absolutely the, you know, the pitcher. He was a team leader. Yeah. Whether he won the races or not, he, he was the guy that I looked up to and, and was the most serious most of the time. And it's funny because you won everything in 83. Some yeah, people would I mean, say you were the guy. <laughs> basically, I was like, you know, I, this guy owns me, but, you know, I can, if I can stay close yeah. and, uh, you know, if he leaves anything for me to take, I'll take it. I want to be in position to have it. Yeah. And, um, you know, by being at all the tests and watching – I mean, he was in fantastic shape, still is, and then he was so fast um, in testing. I mean, he wouldn't just be a little bit faster than us. He'd be two or three seconds a lap faster. We'd go to these really rough tracks and some canyon out in Hesperia that was just this track that's been there since forever, Uh and it never gets smoothed out, and it goes from sandy to hard-packed and curbs and real, really tough. And he would he would make us look, you know, I felt awful. You know? like, That's as fast as I can go. Yeah, you know, yeah. I got to the point where I was trying to, I was trying so hard to ride, you know, within a few seconds of his lap time that I wasn't even paying attention to the bike anymore. I was maxed out. <laughs> yeah, just pushing and pushing. That's how fast he was. So when you have that to ride with during the week and know that, okay, well, it's doable, I can be that much faster, then when you get to the race and line up with everyone else, that isn't exposed to that kind of speed, you know, you're going to probably be pretty close to the front. So, you know, Bob, he uh, he elevated the whole team that year. And I think it was a real privilege for Roger to have him over there too because, you know, it was yeah. probably pretty fun from his perspective. Do you think he just looked at you two guys playing pranks on each other and doing, off, on doing your own thing and just shook his head? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he was uh, – I think we, you know, Johnny and we were pretty entertaining, I suppose. For yeah. Bob, but there were times where I'm thinking, man, he must be looking at me like, grow up, grow up, you know. Especially when you know he had a couple injuries, and then I won everything in '83 when really it was his. I mean, he deserved it. But um, you know, part of racing, I'm yeah. sure. It, it, there were times where he was like, damn it, you know, it's probably a tough pill to swallow. But you know, on the other hand, he he did kind of prove his point. And he was the fastest, and uh, that's really what he wanted the most. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think he he may have, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think there's a, a part of Bob that was kind of happy to see Johnny and I do well because he saw a little bit of himself right. in us and in the, in the fact that, you know, we were like, hey, whatever it takes, that's what we're willing to do to yeah. win. You know, we weren't just relying on talent. We worked at it. Yeah, you I got think he appreciated that. Cool. I'm going to name off some uh, some of your competitors from back in the day and just briefly give me their strengths and weaknesses and might be a little game. Hopefully you don't piss anybody too much <laughs> off. Uh, strength and weaknesses of RJ. His strength was his strength, you know. Yeah. I mean, he was just strong and he could manhandle his way through, you know, whatever situation. He wasn't intimidated by anyone. And uh, I remember actually we were at Southwick once and Bob made a return to racing there in 86 
on Suzuki mm -hmm. and Bob won his heat race and everyone was out there watching it. Normally no one cares about yeah. the qualifier. Everyone was watching Bob and he was flying. <laughs> and Bob or Rick turns to me about three quarters of the way through the race, he goes, Well, I ain't impressed and walked back to the box fan. I just remember thinking, Dude, <laughs> yes you are. That's fast, you know, but he just he uh, he was like a fighter, man. He just got ready to go into battle, and he he wasn't the kind of guy that could finesse his way through it, which maybe be his weakness. Um, but his strength was just the fact that he could catch you and put pressure on you, just pretty much anytime he wanted. And um, you know, I, I feared him, and, and every every time I lined up with him, I knew that there was a chance he was either going to beat me or catch me and beat me and make me look stupid after I led a whole race, which happened a lot of times. So you knew he was going to be strong, but I knew that, uh, you know, if there was some place he was weak, I could maybe get him to beat himself, you know, yeah. he wanted it so bad. His weakness would probably be the finesse. Yeah, he, he didn't. His dad was always preaching to him, you need to be smooth like Bailey, and my dad was going, you need to be more <laughs> gnarly like Rick. Yeah, yeah. Really, I mean, it's... It's, uh, I just was out at Paris a little while back and talking to Rick about that with riders I was, you know, trying to help and mm -hmm. some riders he was trying to help when he was trying to get him to be smooth like me and I was trying to get him to be more aggressive <laughs> like him. He just started laughing. He goes, man, it's still going. Yeah, yeah, still the battle is still on. What about uh, Wardy? Wardy was... Uh, he had finesse, you know. He was he had really good line selection. He could take a really crappy track that, that some Golden State race where everybody races on it all day and four wheelers and different speed and the lines were kind of all jacked mm -hmm. and really make it work. You know, he was super technical and he was really strong. He trained hard. I think you know if there was a weakness, um, man, it was just that. Uh, I, I think somewhere in the back of his mind, he decided he wanted to race a long time, and he just there was some sort of a red light that would kick on on his yeah. dashboard that said, "Don't push it past here." <laughs> so I think you know, like once I was injured, and he and Rick were left to battle for you know '87, '88, ran in there. Yeah. Um, Rick was able to just kind of out tough him, you know, and outlast him, and. You know, if if, uh, if Rick didn't ride up to his potential, then Jeff was going to beat him. But if it came down to a dogfight, you know, Jeff yeah. seemed like he would usually back down from that. All right. Machine. Uh, well, his strength was that he was just, you know, everyone says he was a natural and all that. And, you know, I mean, to a certain degree, yeah, you kind of got to just have a feel for it. Some people can just play a piano with their eyes shut, you know, and mm -hmm. you, you could ride a bike like that. So I mean, he he had that going for him, but he had to work at that. You can't, you don't just have it. You know, you you've got to go out and work at it. And um, you know, he did whatever homework necessary to be able to make it look really easy out there. And I suppose you know, like most people would think, if if you know, I hate talking about people's weaknesses. <laughs> you guys, you can tee off on me anytime you like. We already did. Uh, I did the same thing with Dogger, uh, okay. with one of these same things. So, but I, I think you know, like most people would consider, you know, if Ronnie would just have uh, had a bit more structure and yeah. and have been able to say no a little bit more often to certain things, then uh, you know, he probably would have had a little bit longer career and and been taken a little bit more serious for you know title runs and stuff. Although he got close in Supercross. Yeah he did um, and he won a 125 title I just think he would have won a lot more if he'd uh, 
uh, you know, put his attention in other places. Yeah, when you guys lined up, on, when he won a race, you guys were probably like, ah, you know, whatever, he was on this night. Yeah, you like, can win this one, you know, yeah. he's on fire, go ahead and, you know, you can have it, but yeah. next week and the week after, we'll, we'll let him yeah, yeah. right back out. <laughs> what about uh, Barnett? No, I, I don't think he had a weakness. <laughs> that's that's how I could define him. Really? I, I yeah. don't think I ever saw him go slow, ever. Yeah. You know, he, as soon as he hit the track, he was up to speed. And it was one of the things that I tried to incorporate into my bag of tricks was to just always be aggressive and always charging. And, uh, you know, when I when I, we think of Ricky, we just think of, you know, uh, Stewart's got a little more flash. Reed and Wyndham maybe a little more graceful, but Ricky just charged everywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. if it was just six feet of racetrack, you figure out how to gas it a little bit through there to just, you know, yeah. take up that free space. And so I think, uh, you know, with Barnett originated that. I mean, he was he was the guy that that just charged from, you know, point to point. And never left any racetrack, you know, where he just kind of coasted through it. And and he was strong. And for a, a while there on 125s in the early 80s when it was 45-minute motos and hot. Then at Lake Whitney once, I remember, he just won by like 40 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Just smoked everybody. And, and that's how he was able to finally, you know, knock Brock off the top step of that three-year title run he had in 125s. It came down to the final race at St. Pete. Rough track, hot and humid, and he just was stronger than Brock. And then he, you know, once he uh, won the title, he kept on winning like that because he just was relentless. Right. You know? And I think of him a lot like Carmichael. So, uh, and, I, and I don't, I mean, his weakness, maybe he just wasn't tall enough. But, you know, <laughs> Ward and, and Ricky have proven that that doesn't really matter. And yeah. He did, too. Um, what's crazy is that the bomber retired when he was, like, 26 or 27 years old. Mm-hmm. Done out of the sport and now these guys today I mean you know Ferry's 32 Wyndham's 30 Nathan's 33 you know yeah and uh, they're still going strong 26 years old and you're done that's just I yeah I think um, you know he just had enough and believe me if there would have been you know a million and a half or so up for grabs for him to keep going <laughs> a couple more years yeah a different story yeah I know go out there and you know fall down and break collarbones and, and risk whatever and be away from home and his wife and stuff for, yeah. you know, another 400 grand. Yeah, I know. Lachine told me that he signed the hugest contract ever. It was three years to $1 million. Yeah. <laughs> I got offered that same deal and I, I stayed with Honda. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was uh, going on about these guys also. He's saying the motivation. He was saying the same thing. The motivation to stick around is a lot greater. Yeah, I mean, if you get all the old guys together, not that we just around and back in my day it's yeah. not like that it's just that if you if we get asked a lot yeah none of us just offer that up we're always asked whether it be a fan or somebody from the media you know or just in conversation with people that are curious about it and um you know it wouldn't even be an issue if the 80s hadn't been special first of all yeah, yeah. and then when you pluck somebody out of that that um era you know we all agree. That's the common denominator of all our opinions is that it's just it's a little bit. I don't mean to say that it's easier now. You still got to go yeah. fast. And I've been at the track watching Stroop do some testing, and he's just blowing through the bumps like he's mad at the track. Yeah. And and that takes a lot of talent and effort. But, you know, it's uh, the money they get, the the pampering, the, the buses, the in and out of there. And, yeah. and, you know, the nationals are much nicer. And, you know, they're not riding in dust. They're not riding 45-minute motos. They're on nicer bikes. It's just the intensity's picked up, of course, you know, but it's, it's a little bit easier, and, and uh, 
I think that's why their careers last a little longer. It's just not quite as caveman as it used to be. <laughs> I know. Uh, I've heard stories of RJ doing the Nationals, and he would go in his mechanics box van all summer, just go with them, ride during the week. Yeah. Go to the Nash I mean, Anna did that too, a lot. Yeah, like, that's crazy, you know? And they had practice tracks all over the place, because we didn't used to get a Saturday to ride before a Supercross or a Friday practice like they used to have. I mean, yeah. Or a national. We just get there and you'd go out for practice and it was just prepared like terrible. Yeah. yeah. You know, just completely, you know, just two feet, three feet deep of mud. Yeah. And then just kind of dry and powdery on the outside. And then, you know, the sprinklers would get one section of the track to soak and miss the other spots. And, yeah. and actually, Red Bud used to be really bad for that. There was one time there where, you know, the. the the guy from the AMA, the official, he was basically like, okay, um, they're starting to offer, like, prizes for somebody that would get out there and practice. <laughs> no one would go out, and, like, a half hour went by at a national, and no one would go out for practice. Oh, so it was, you know. So you just don't hear about these type harder. of things with just motocross action back in the day. <laughs> it was just, it was harder, you know. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I think you got a good point. I also think that people don't realize uh, what they had until all of you guys are gone. You know what I mean? Like, and people start thinking, you know, in the '80s it was this way, and it was pretty good in the '80s, and and uh, we had parody, we had lots of different winners. I mean, I I have this Supercross Greatest DVD, World's Greatest Supercross DVD collection, and I mean. Just you look up and down the line, and like you said, there's eight guys that have multiple titles, you know? Hey, I was watching a video, I don't know, about a year or two ago of, of uh, Foxborough, Massachusetts, uh -huh. 84. And, you know, we're doing a parade lap deal, a site lap before the main, yeah. and it's me, Brock, Rick, Lachine, Ward, Hannah, Barnett, <laughs> Johnny. Yeah. Hey, gee whiz, you know? Holly. And I, and I thought about it, and I, I paused the tape for a second, and I just jotted down, and I, I know pretty good, and I'm within a, a few, the, the titles that we all had at that, right then and there. Not how many we eventually won, yeah. but how many we had that night. And it was like 41 championships <laughs> between us. Yeah. So... Um, you know, you just can't go down the line like that now, you know. And, and, no. But I don't want to bag too much on now. It was just a special time. I was really yeah. Was yeah. I was happy to be part of it. But, I mean, I still love watching now. I mean, I like to see a kid like Kennard come out and just smoke guys and, and uh, you know, have a chance at the title. I mean, those first couple, three races, he was so aggressive. And, and um, you know, to see Villapoto have to sort of figure out, hey, man, I got to get it together. And, and to see some racing, to see a little bit of suspense, you know, in this West Coast Lights title, that's yeah. going to be good in Seattle. And, and you know, can Villapoto really, you know, put some pressure on Kennard and take that down to the wire and, and uh, you know, Looks like Chad might be able to, to take care of this, the Supercross, but, you know, there's uh, heading into the outdoors um, for the yeah. big class. It, it looks like it could be pretty good for a bit. And oh, yeah. really potential for it to be close. So, I mean, you know, it's it's flashy. It's pretty neat to see these guys in, in big rigs and, and uh, the, what, you know, how cool looking the bikes are and all the all the uh, bells and whistles that go along with the sport these days, you know, it's pretty neat. But there's, I think there's just something kind of cool as well about 
you know, just how raw and, and yeah. uh, pioneering it, it was back then. And you could probably go and talk to Bill Russell and Michael Jordan and, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, Terry Bradshaw and, and people in other sports, and it, it's the same, you know. It's not like motocross just got all spoiled and it's, you know, not as cool as it was in the 80s. It's, it's just different. And, yep. uh, yeah. You can't stop that. It's just money and and uh, improvement in certain things and comfort, you know. It's, America likes to do things the easiest, fastest way possible, and and uh, you know it doesn't always involve work ethic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. That's a good. That's a. That might be a race reaction noise quote right there. Um, what do you think of when you watch the uh, the TV, the Supercar show? What are your thoughts on the production now? I mean, obviously you were involved with that for many, many years. Yeah, I think they just miss it. They just, know? yeah. They, is it the, is, like is it the infomercial? Is it just get the? It done. You know, they're going to look. We and they work hard. Okay, so um, the people have no idea how hard TV guys yeah. have to work to take all the tapes, put them together, make it look like a lap, and yeah. then 20 laps, and then fit in sponsors and build a block for the first break to commercial and then the next block to commercial and fit in okay we got to go down and talk to Aaron okay back up to these guys and shoot we got all this stuff we don't have Emig in there okay let's let's delete some of that and put Emig in there yeah and then oh man it's a little heavy on Honda so let's try to balance that and oh we're, we're a little heavy so we got to edit out a minute three quarter yeah it's a pain in the butt and um, so I, I know that at some point they're like you know what screw it it's good enough <laughs> but um, you know to build a sport yeah, you really gotta, you really gotta care about each minute that it's air. It gets on there, yeah. And you know, if, if I had the opportunity that to do that position, I'm not saying I want to, but I, just if it was my responsibility, um, man, I, I'd just have the biggest bags under my eyes you've ever seen. <laughs> I would do what it took to make the show look right. And yeah. I think when I did it before and was involved with art, he was a big influence on how well I did. So uh -huh. David Spain, a few guys like that. I mean, I didn't just jump in there and do well. They helped me a lot to, to kind of understand what, what needed to get done. And, um, you know, I'd email and, and talk to the guys about, you know, what the stories were for the, the week and make sure that we paid those stories off and make sure that they got the camera angle that was going to make that work so I could talk about a particular thing. And, uh -huh. you know, that Scott Macklemore, our director back then, would mic the track in certain places on the whoops or the takeoff of the triple. And, you know, we we tried to make motocross and supercross look as good as any other sport on television mm -hmm. and now it, they don't care about that they care about how many sponsors get their, their yeah. how much time you know you get to see parts limited or whatever other sponsor and monster and and it i think it really just you know it's uh it's really flat and you know, by the time the show's even on, you've already heard about it so much and seen so many pictures. Yeah. It's like, just kind of watch the show because it doesn't, it's not that great, you know. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while, like, they had a pretty good shot of Villapoto doing that little nose wheelie crash into a corner trying to get around Canard. I thought I caught that show and mm -hmm. got some cool angles of it and stuff, but... For the most part, I mean, they'd show the start the worst possible way, and they'd do about eight different edits, and you, 
you're thinking they're going to stick with the shot. And you're like, yeah, okay, this is going to – oh, they cut a different shot. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, they go to a replay and they, they miss something that's just taking place or they go to break right when a guy's passing somebody. And you, you're like, wait. <laughs> I know that everybody's looking at their TV the same way I do. So yeah. preaching to the choir there. But, but uh, I just think it could be, you know, <laughs> about 75% better. And it'd be better for the sport. It would be better for sponsors. It would be better, you know, I'm, I'm sure Joe Gibbs enjoys having a team, but, it, you know, what if NASCAR coverage looked like Supercross does yeah. or, or, or National? Yeah, they follow the leader around right? that circle. It, it wouldn't be what it is. <laughs> yeah. TV and the, and the way they cover that stuff makes it that special. The Tour de France, no one would care. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, they decided to make that thing live and re-air it and follow it the whole way, and that's a moving circus and they still manage to get those pictures to us and it looks pretty good you know even if you're not into cycling you can follow that for a little yeah. while and it's it's pretty intriguing and with supercross it's um the motives and the you know what they really want out of it for television now has nothing to do with producing a great show it's more about numbers and stuff i, I think yeah no i think you're right i think you're right it's hard to it's, you know, you see both sides. Live Nation wants to get people to go to the races, and they buy the time for the, for, the, for the races to be shown, so they have the right to make it look like, come on out and see these girls and see these pits and, you know what I mean, things like that. But on the other hand, you know, you'd think that people want to come out just because they see great racing, you know? So, yeah. I don't I'm know. I'm not sure what they're... You know, I mean, hey, they're filling the stadiums, and yeah, yeah. you know, the riders are making more money, and, and all that. So, I mean, you have to look at it and go, hey, well, they, you know, they have brought something to the table yeah. for sure. Yeah, I just, um, I, I think I'm a little like Brock, and then I'm a, a little bit of a perfectionist, and it bugs me to see something that could be really good <laughs> not be. Yeah, that just. <laughs> <laughs> it gets under my skin because uh, I've been there and I know what's doable and yeah. I see what's not done and it drives me crazy. So I don't really watch it that much. Yeah. I know it's going to be some race that was really good or something. Right. Well, cool. Hey, thanks for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Pretty candid, pretty honest and open. And uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure for me to to, uh, to do this. You're an icon for sure. So. Thanks. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. It's All right. It's a subject I like to, you know, yeah. I like. I know a lot about it, and it's uh, fun to share. Coming to Vegas? Um, that'll depend on how things are going with my son. Okay. Back out the track with him a lot, and uh, yeah. took you know a couple years off. My wife actually was like, you know, I think we should see if he wants to keep going with this. Yeah. Because I went through so much, I, I think he just was going, I'll just get a job. I'm not going to ask mom and dad to help me with this. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, he's back out there and make sure, you know, that he's not going to be 40 and going, man, I should have tried a little harder. Yeah, I should have. So I'm, I'm always out there with him and um that's the priority if, if there's time and we can get to vegas and uh we'll definitely go check it out great okay well thanks again for doing this david all right see you later all right bye that's it folks that's the end of the racer x canada podcast show with david bailey the icon the legend i want to thank everybody for listening um, this is all brought to you by Shift Racing Canada, shiftracing.ca on the web. Remember, Shift, the choice is yours. Tune in next week when I no doubt have another exciting guest.